Hey. Hey. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another week of Case Files with Kat and Ashley. How are you doing today, my sister from another I'm sister? I'm good. I actually have beer. So that's like the first in like, I don't know, 50 episodes. I've been drinking <laughs> for a couple of hours. No, I'm just kidding. I had, my I country had accent's about to come out for oh. the whole episode. You know what I'm saying? Man, it feels, does it Does it feel like it's, it's like the old days today? I mean, we got to see all of our girls. Yes, we did see all of our friends earlier. We were at a business luncheon so there was no alcohol but other than that I still feel yeah, like you know I know it's hard for people to believe we are business professionals outside of this what <laughs> yes we did it was really nice to see everybody it was it was now really nice we, we pre-gamed a little bit I know that's like old times just getting loose getting ready yes we Connecting on a deeper level yes. before we get on the show. <laughs> yes. Shutting my kids up into a room and making them fear for their lives if they make a sound. No, I'm just kidding. She's, uh, she's my feature next episode, guys. <laughs> Someday. Someday. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I even tried to get Sarah, Sarah, to come oh. over here and pregame with us, but... Alas, kids, they ruin everything. <laughs> I love you children when you listen to this and you're adults. <laughs> I just have dogs. They're also psychopaths, in case you're wondering. So what are you drinking? So I know a lot of craft beer people hate Carbock, but oh. I'm drinking Carbock because it's Strawberry Fields and I love strawberry oh. wheat beers. And I used to always drink Southern Star's strawberry beer. Um, but ever since Carbock came out with this, it's just been my favorite. Huh, and so it's um, is it sweet. It's not really sweet. It's kind of like dry, but not too dry. And it's just got a hint of strawberry. It's really good. You might actually like it. Does but, it taste like those, like those seltzer waters that are, you know, like berry seltzers or something? Similar. Huh. I don't, I, it's, it's really good. It's just a really good balance of strawberry and wheat. And oh, interesting. I don't know. I love it. Yeah. I'll have to try um, it. I'm pretty sure it's seasonal. I could be wrong. Don't quote me. Totally quoting. But I'm pretty sure it just comes out at summer, at least at the brewery. Okay. It's the only time I've seen it there is like summer, warm months. Mm -hmm. um, it's delicious. It is, if you're unfamiliar with Carbock, they're in Houston. Um, Sorry. But, you know, they I are owned by Anheuser-Busch yeah, now, distributing which is why craft beer people don't like them anymore, oh, no. even though it is still very good beer to me. And the food there is amazing. I don't care if they're sellouts because their shit is good. Um, so anyways, well, it's a strawberry, officially a strawberry blonde. Oh, okay. Well, I have never tried one of those. 5.2%. Okay. Well, I am, I was drinking just a, like some White Claw, you know, de with my macaroni. <laughs> that macaroni but was so good. Was, <laughs> shells and cheese, baby. Um, and now um, Jason made me a delicious vodka drink. So cats oh. drinking vodka, people. We, we know what that means. <laughs> 
We're not sure how tonight is And she's go. the one telling the story. Normally when she's drinking vodka, she's not the one telling the story. Listen, if you did the amount of research and the writing. I thought you were about to say crazy, the amount of drinking I do. And then if you did, <laughs> you need to pick me up, right? No, but seriously, I, I felt like I I was literally just this mad typing machine that I, I, I had read so much and did all this research, a crazy amount of research for this one story, this one guy that I just was, I didn't, I, I just wrote it. I just wrote all this stuff and I just was like, oh, and then this happened and then this happened. And now I, I know that I have to open one of these books to because it was too much to type. I, I'm a slow typer. So... Th- I'm just going to have to open up to a pay- 151. For on those one who books. don't know what she's talking about, she has a stack of books I do on stack. her table. It's a stack. <laughs> I'm loving this upside down microphone setup. Um, <laughs> even though my my audio is recording upside down. <laughs> Shut up. Our producer, uh, Jason, told her that because my microphone's upside down, the audio is going to be recording upside down. And I down. just looked at him like, what? <laughs> I was like, you're an asshole. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, so anyway. Now that we've lost everybody. Totally. We're having too much fun, too much vodka. Let me grab those books. Hold on, because they're right here. Oh, they're I could have too pissed. far. Oh, this noise. All this noise. Let me put it right. And it's not even me for once. I know. Okay, so tonight we are doing part two. Yeah, part two of uh, our story on Israel Keys, and he was named by uh, 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 Maureen Callahan as the most meticulous killer of the 21st century, based on her book, American Predator. And so last week I went over his childhood, his most serious long-term relationship with Tammy. So like up to that point, she had been um, the most serious. They were engaged to be married, but they did never, they never got married. Um, and they did, but they did have a daughter whose name is Sarah together. And, um, and then how all of that eventually fell apart. And I got around to um, between last week and this week, I finally got around to reading Devil in the Darkness by J.T. Hunter. And it really did this amazing job of filling in. I said it last week because uh, the last podcast on the left guys had used this book as their one of their main sources of information. Um, and so it did fill in a lot of gaps uh, that American Predator and vice versa. I think those two pieces actually complement each other pretty well. Um, the This book, however, Devil in the Darkness, is really laid out like a movie. And it actually had gotten like optioned for a movie or whatever that's called. Like it got picked to be made into a movie. Um, I don't know how long ago that, that happened. Um, but it, the way that it's set up is it starts in one timeline f- goes way back to another fast forward to the present and it's kind of it goes back and forth but the story of tammy and israel keys is really this this big part of it and every once in a while and it's all italicized but it's almost like a journal entry of their relationship so it's really cool so you really get like how they met, what drew them together, how it fell apart, and and so those really specific details. Anyway, so as I mentioned last week, 
Israel Keys was meticulous. Um, he was patient. He planned things out, even though his victims were spur of the moment. And I guess that's what makes him so terrifying to me. Like, he had everything laid out, and if he was going to kill, it, he didn't necessarily know who it was going to be. Wow. He just knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Which is really different. That He didn't have a type. Yeah. It was men, it was women, it was young, it was old, it was like just whatever. Yeah, that's, that's different. Right. And, and I'll get into even some of that later. Um, he would tell um, investigators later that part of what got him off, like, what really drove him and got him off, I guess, was that he was living two different lives. No one who knew him could say that they saw any of this coming, except for maybe his family and a couple of army buddies, like nobody who knew him. Um, He wasn't honest about it. And he loved being able to live two lives. And um, which yeah like even with his newer girlfriend kimberly like he was the designated driver even though he was the alcoholic in the family you know like he was the designated driver when her and her girlfriends wanted to go out drinking like he was that guy and then like he didn't really like to be in big crowds but he was really in a small group very charming and very yeah which surprises me to no end because on those videos he's just personality less yeah you know he didn't strike me as being <laughs> he's, he laughs at his own jokes and he thinks he's really funny when he's just a horrendous person anyway so um if anybody wants to know anything else there's a ton of resources there's so much so 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 much and again it's all gonna be in our show notes so i'm just gonna get into part two now we don't have a question of the week or anything like that so i'm just gonna get into it because i got got a lot i got a lot okay so where we left off is a pretty interesting and frustrating time for not not just me, but the investigators. So Israel hooked up with Kimberly Anderson. She was the 41-year-old travel nurse who had decided to move to Alaska. Um, he decided to move to Alaska with her, with his daughter, Sarah, that he had with Tammy. Um, there was a custody issue. He tried to let the get the courts to allow him to take um, take sarah with him but there she the courts didn't agree to it and it took a lot of rigmarole for that to happen but israel did win partly due to tammy's opiate addiction um, after she had a hysterectomy due to cancer she was also in a really big car crash because she was high and she ended up in jail for 25 days and then she went to treat a treatment center for seven weeks so he was the primary caregiver of their daughter you know like yeah she got so bad that he just let her sleep the entire day and he would get her up go to school get her hair braid her hair get her so interesting that he was so violent and stuff towards other people but he 
he was a great dad. At the surface was a really great dad. He was a really great dad. And like his daughter, he had a parent conference with um, one of his teachers, one of her teachers. And he missed it because he was doing his dirty deeds. And he, he's like, oh no, I missed it. And rescheduled it like right away. And it was all to get her into GT because like she was a very, you know, gifted and talented kid. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, he, he wasn't dumb and that hard worker and all of that. And so she was, she was doing well. I can't imagine what she's thinking now, you know, this is all from like a decade ago. Can't imagine what she's doing now. Um, anyway, so, uh, Israel was very open with Tammy about Kimberly, the new girlfriend. And, you know, she had even said to Tammy, she wants me to go to Alaska. Should I go? And Tammy said he, he should do whatever he wanted to do at this point though, they were still sleeping together. So they were still off and on. They were still like, she just loved him so much, but she wouldn't tell him to do like, she would never tell him how to live his life. Yeah. Um, and so she thought like, if I just let him go, then that's, that's all I can, you know, that's all I can do. And, um, but she was still not in a healthy place. And so she went and left a note on, on Kimberly's car that they were still sleeping together. And that's when Kimberly was like, are you coming? Cause I'm going. And so he left, he did end up leaving with her. He tried, she tried to sabotage it. It didn't it work. It just sped it up. <laughs> yeah, it sped it up. It didn't work. Um, and uh, his daughter was never a part, though, of Kimberly's plans. She was a travel nurse. She liked to travel. She worked a lot. She worked to travel, right? Yeah. And so having a kid, and she was 41. She wasn't planning on having kids. Um, she was sort of like, well, uh, Israel and Sarah are a package deal. I want Israel, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. But she wasn't ever super motherly. Like, she didn't adopt Sarah as like one of her own. Yeah. Right? Um, but they were a package deal. And I think that that didn't sit well with Israel either because she he was never going to not be that doting father. So, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So as he moved to Alaska, he took every opportunity to stop in all the small da- all the small towns up and down the West Coast, even into Mexico. Um, he told investigators that he drove around always looking for spots to hide not just bodies... but his kill kits (sighs) and he did just that he made mention that there are still undiscovered kill kits all over the country probably in mexico too um he made mention of the difficulty of getting guns into into canada so they don't think that there are any there but he they don't put it past him to have made um killed anybody in Canada, but he doesn't really talk about that too much. He did make a mention of it, that Canada is really hard to get guns into, um, but he may have stored them there as well. So his kill kits consisted of guns that he would oil up so they wouldn't get damaged just sitting there for years. It could, yeah. it could be years. He planned out murders in advance like that. 
Yeah. Sometimes over a year of planning. Um, I'm not sure about like the oil. I don't know anything about guns. I don't know if that means I'm sure gun owners are laughing at me right now, but I don't know if it's like a Vaseline <laughs> I don't or know if it's just like a, like a lubricant oil, like in a car or whatever. But so they would, he would take care of the guns, put them in Ziplocs, and then they would go into the, the, those five gallon, five gallon buckets anyway besides the guns he um so i can stop and embarrassing myself there were knives zip ties duct tape tarps trash bags any kind of tools like knives you know really good utility knives um and anything and everything that you could use in a pinch to commit a murder and he would just bury these or and what? And he would bury them. And, he, and only he knew where they were. How he, did he remember that? He, only he knew. He didn't write any of it down. Um, there was never uh, never a map. There was never, He just knew exactly where every wow, single thing impressive. was. Mm-hmm. They were everywhere. So um, also in the first episode, I spoke about his ability to change any gun to fit his purpose. Um, so he he wanted investigators to really see his ingenuity in creating, you know, silencers and making guns that wouldn't normally have a silencer to have a silencer. Um, he was really into guns. And so that was something that... Uh, Sometimes his, you know, like, especially with the silencers, sometimes his plans to kill somebody just to test out a gun. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like no other, nothing other than that. I'm going to go in public and I'm going to shoot somebody. Um, that was a plan one time, but then too many people came around. And so that plan was thwarted. Imagine the people who were sitting on that park bench. If they had known that they were almost shot and killed by Israel keys, but like, the police showed up or some like something people yeah. just showed up and then ruined the whole thing. Too many people. That's like that. I think that's the part that scares me the most. Like all, so many people just got lucky. Um, he also told investigators um, of a time when he decided that he was going to kill someone. Anyone didn't matter. Um, he was looking for a man this particular time though. He was looking for a man. Um, he was most likely going to rape him before killing before killing him, but there wasn't like a certain man he wanted. There was, um, they needed to be light enough that he could carry them or overpower them. That was like the one, the one, um, stick, uh, uh yeah. what is that word? The one, the, the one necessity. Yeah. He needed to be able, at six foot two, he needed to be able to still, and very strong, to be able to pick them up and move them into another place. So he wasn't looking for anybody in particular, but he was out there in this one um, apartment complex and it was raining a light raining that night. And there was a guy who drove up to his apartment and it was raining super hard. And the guy got out and because he didn't want to get, wet at all he ran super fast to his apartment and got into his building and um so israel missed his chance with this guy he was like this guy's perfect and then the guy just got away from him and he said yeah that guy got lucky that night like in the interrogation like he was like so so close um he wasn't so crazy that he couldn't control it 
He was like, oh, well. But that makes it even scarier. Oh, yeah. He was like, uh, guess like tonight's not the night. he's literally just doing it to do it. Like, mm-hmm. That's crazy. He gets the urge, but it's not an urge that he can't control. And so there's no, there's no plea of, ins- there's no defense of insanity here. Yeah. Because if he were insane, he would just be going around, right? Just like, I don't know. I don't care. We would have followed him into the apartment. Or... Fi- yeah. stay there for the next person yeah you know yeah. like he was like oh, i'm just gonna go home well that's it not tonight tonight's not my night <laughs> god that's so crazy um so another part of all of this that got him off was the waiting it was that waiting it was patience it was the planning um the secrecy everything that led up to the Everything that led up to the crime was part of what made it so hot for him because he got off on all of that. And I keep, I'm the one that keeps hitting the mic. Um, Does that make him the most like high profile serial killer ever? Like the most, whatever, like the the scary, because you know, he fanboyed big time Ted Bundy, right? Um, The guy that, that uh, Silence of the Lambs was based off of, right? All of these people who, I don't know what I'm touching, I don't know what I'm touching, but it's, I keep hearing it. All of these people that he idolized, he learned from, learned their mistakes, and then would do whatever he was. I'm still stuck on the fact that he could just control it and just be like, "Eh," and go home. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. That's probably why he didn't get caught for so long, honestly. I would think. (sighs) Well, I mean, I know he moved, but like. He, yeah, he, he, yeah, he never stayed anywhere for very long. Um, And I think, and I'll get into it later, but I think that. He might have wanted to get caught, you know, like at yeah. the end. And because I think it was, I, I think all of it really, they all do. And he would say like, I don't want to be famous and I don't want the notoriety. And it's like, bullshit, dude. You <laughs> wouldn't do this shit. You wouldn't be talking to us. You wouldn't be wanting to let us know what happened if you didn't want some notoriety. But yeah. he didn't want his daughter to know anything about him. So I don't know. Anyway, so Alaska. <clears throat> the media totally ate it all up too. I don't know. Okay, so seriously, I could talk about this dude for a long time. I'm not going to, so I'm going <laughs> to... Uh, Jason said, if I did, then I would be an audiobook. So I'm not going to do that. Um, but so once in Alaska, Israel Keys started his own company, um, Keys Construction Company. He worked for, when he lived on the reservation with Tammy, he worked for the Macaw tribe in their parks department. He started out making like $15 an hour. Five years later, he's making over $20 an hour. He started out like doing menial stuff, but he, you know, put every, his whole resume on the web, his website about like all the work that he did for the tribe building um uh, uh, trails in the part of the parks you know and doing plumbing and all i mean just all kinds of handyman ki- kind of things yeah. that the tribe members themselves started to hire him to do weekend stuff and so there's pictures that were up on his website keys construction company and he put photos of him like in front of a set of stairs that he attached to a building and um, he had customer reviews in his entire resume and he did a lot of stuff and they really liked him they they he they weren't sure what to think of him 
But eventually, they learned to like him a lot. And um, when he moved to Alaska, he and Kimberly moved into a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath that needed a ton of upgrades. And he got right to work on that. He did. He redid the lighting, the flooring, the plumbing. He did the cabinets. He did everything in the house. And he just, he took a lot of care in their, in their house, in their yard. He even built a shed like right in front of his house for like work stuff. And then um, also one in the back. Um, Oh, excuse me. I messed that up. Okay. So since Kimberly worked and traveled a lot, Israel was free to be who he wanted to be. Most of the time, there wasn't anybody checking in on him, right? Neither Kimberly nor Tammy got on him about his secrecy, his need to have separate spaces. When I'm in my shed, don't ask me what I'm doing kind of stuff. Like this is my man cave. (laughs) Um, He was a hard worker. He always did what he said he was going to do. He was always on time. So there wasn't anything that was ever like, he must be doing something that's not legit. You know, like they were like, he just does what he wanted, wants to do, but it's, you know, he's working late, I guess, you know, they just didn't give, they didn't give him a hard time. There was a change, however, that even Tammy and his customers in Alaska began to notice. And one of them being a woman by the name of Heather Andrews. And she hired Keys in 2011 and then again in the summer of 2012. And she just loved him and uh, even helped him take care of Sarah because he would bring Sarah to her house while he was doing work on the house. And so Heather would teach her how to cook things and they would make, they would, you know, work on homework and learn how to read. She would, there was all these things that she, you know, she was the one that was taking care of his daughter while he did work. And so she just loved him. She thought he was just a doting father and that's great. He had told Heather that Sarah's mom didn't want her and was addicted to drugs. And so he played that part really well. And so Heather was like, Oh, this poor baby and this poor man. And I'm going to, be this, you know, just really played her, right? Yeah. Um, she knew him as Izzy, as did Tammy, and he was always so friendly and talkative and doting on his daughter. And he told her about growing up in a religious commune, and he actually said to her, religions poison people. Um, she could tell that whatever he had gone through soured him on religion, but that he seemed overall generally a pretty happy guy. But in January of 2012, Keys did not show up for work at her house. Um, now, this bothered her because for just a few weeks, she had noticed a change in his behavior before this absence from work, right? So he started to be really moody the talkative Izzy wasn't talkative anymore. He would uh, like literally just avoid eye contact, eye contact with her almost all the time. Usually he would be stopping in the kitchen and stopping and have a cup of coffee and just chit chat with her. And he was always very nice. And she was, she just thought all of this is very strange. So one day she's watching him and he's carrying something um, across her yard and she's in her kitchen and, you know, having a cup of coffee or whatever. And she's watching him cross her yard when he just stops and, uh huh. And turns her, his head and looks right at her. 
And I don't really hear Ashley like, fuck no. Um, and so he sees her just looking at him and she said it was as if he was looking right into my very soul. It gave her the creeps, dude. It gave her the creeps. It would give me the creeps if anyone did and that. He just, she, but she knew something was wrong with him, right? So she was like, he's probably drinking too much. There's something going on. Um, it was getting worse. So when he didn't show up, she went to his house to see if he was okay. Because this is somebody who she's hired. He has a work still to yeah. be done. She wanted to make sure that something didn't happen. She was worried about Sarah. Um, so after a lot of knocking and a lot of knocking and a lot of waiting and then some more knocking, he opened the door and he looked a mess. He was disheveled. He had his beard growing out. Nothing like what he normally shows up to at her house. Um, and so she was like, are you okay? Do you need help? And he said... I'm okay. I just get depressed in winter. The winters are so long here. So she reached out to give him a motherly hug and he just stood there, his arms by his side, his like, he did not respond to this person who was showing him genuine care and affection. And it took him a long time, but he put his arms finally around her to hug her because that's what normal people would do. And it's like it almost as if something clicked like, oh, I'm supposed to raise my arms and put them around this person to yeah. like be res to reciprocate this hug. Right. Is that even a word? And at that moment, she was like, it felt like there was nobody there. Wow. Like there's just nobody in this body, like a yeah. soulless body. Um, he did end up finishing her work. And so this is January of 2012. He did end up finishing her work at, at, at her house um, about a week later. But what she didn't know, well, it was also a week later. But what she didn't know was that in a few days after being at his house, he would rape and kill someone in the shed that she stood 20 feet away from while she was giving him a hug. Um, and that was the shed that he had built in front of their house. That he killed someone in the shed in the front yard? In the front of his house. So you can't do that around here. People are too nosy. <sighs> huh? Yeah. People are waiting. I can't. People in. So Alaska, both of the books are like Alaska people, man. They're going to like, you want to you wanna use power tools in the middle of the night? You go right ahead. That is your God-given right. There would be a post so fast on Facebook if oh someone did that around here. The neighborhood the Facebook. is using power tools? Cops would be showing up. <laughs> People are like, you do you, man. Go with God. All right. Um... It was hard for her later, especially her, uh, I'm sure, um, later to accept that he did all of the things that eventually did come out about Israel Keys. Um, it was hard for her because she was a nurse for like over 20 years, 25 years. She was a nurse. Nurses fucking know people. Heather was also. You're, Heather. I was making sure you were talking about Yeah. Heather. 
Heather was a nurse. And so she was like, they, I mean, I've worked with nurses for a very long time. Yeah. They can read people. They know people. So you come in, you're like, oh, my back hurts. Shut up. You just want some drugs. You know, <laughs> like they know. Yeah. And she could not read him. She did not read any of that. She did not see that side of him. If she thought back on it now, would she maybe, if she listened to herself when he gave her that creepy ass look or when he was giving her that crazy ass hug? Yeah, like maybe she could, but like she probably didn't want to know or want to see any of that. I'm almost surprised he didn't murder her like for coming to his house. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. She was married, so I mean, I'm sure she was like, "Honey, I'm going." You know, like it wouldn't. It yeah, it, it, people would have known. And he, she was out there in the middle of the day in front of his house. Anyway, she suffered from from nightmares for months because I just like you don't trust people anymore after that. Yeah, like you let this man into your home. He had he Took had customers. Yeah, he had customers who gave their keys. To oh, Israel wow. Keys. They had, had access to like money. Oh, like man. one of people, what people were calling the investigators and like, you have the wrong man. You have the wrong man. There is not a bad bone in this man's body. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Like his customers loved him. He's you know, like never had a bad, never had a bad yeah. review, right? His oop, his Yelp, his Yelp was lit up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so after Heather goes to visit Israel Keys on February 1st, just days after Heather went to check up on him, 18-year-old Samantha Koenig disappeared from where she was working. She worked at a small coffee kiosk called Common Grounds. Now, coffee kiosks are something that is very Anchorage, very Alaska. All right. Um, they are they are just a huge thing. This kiosk, like all the others, were pretty small, maybe like nine feet by five feet. But inside, they're only about like three feet wide because all the oh, cups okay. and yeah. stuff, you got to keep, you know. But it's a coffee kiosk. Um, they are mostly staffed by young, attractive, and when I say young, like teenager, high school kids, um, young girls, and they're open. Uh, the one that Samantha worked in was one of the ones that were open very late, and they op- she was open until 8. So that it is a, it's a drive-through or you can walk up. It's yeah. just like coffee, little kiosk. And, uh, I sent, I sent a picture. So Ashley will get that up the picture of the actual kiosk. There's also CCTV footage, surveillance footage from inside the kiosk. There were two cameras on during the, um, the kidnapping. And, uh, so, I mean, they had, they, they had it right. Um, Samantha's father, James Koenig, um, did not, <laughs> he didn't want his only daughter to work. He, it was just him and Samantha, right? It was just yeah. the two of them in the house. It wasn't his, his wife or his, her mom was not there. He did not want her to work there. And he always worried about her safety. He just like, it's just, you're, you're there by yourself. You're closing by yourself at eight o'clock at night, you know, just, but she had him wrapped around his little, you know, her little finger. And yeah. if she wanted it, she got it. 
Yeah. And so she wanted that job. She wanted to be able to make money and to have a little bit of spending money. And so she got, he had to cave and say yes. Um, and, you know, she also had a boyfriend. So she it was her and her dad um, and her boyfriend also lived with them. Her boyfriend named her boyfriend's name was Dwayne and Dwayne also in high school, uh, also working, uh, was kicked out of his house by his parents because of his drinking, underage drinking. And so she, you know, Samantha told James, like, he's going to move in or I'm going to move out. And so guess who moved in? And so Dwayne moves in. And at first they didn't really get along, but eventually they, they got to like each other and got to, you know, know yeah. and like each other a lot. And he helped around the house. He did chores and did that kind of thing. He wasn't just a bum. Um, he worked for a restaurant and he was really into cooking and he loved to cook for Samantha and she loved his cooking. And so like he, they just seemed like a nice little young couple. I think I've seen the CCT footage and didn't realize it was this story. Oh, yeah, and just, <clears throat> it was insane. If it's the same one I'm thinking yeah. about, it's cr- so scary. So, um, Dwayne's job at the restaurant um, was also late at night, um, and they shared his truck. So, Samantha had taken his truck to work at Common Grounds, and he was walking. And so, she goes, why don't you take the truck and I'll get, I'll get my dad to come pick me up or I'll get somebody to come pick me up. And so he took it and had made up his mind that he was going to go back there at eight o'clock to pick her up after yeah. she had finished, um, cl- after she had finished closing up. So he actually asked his boss, he got to work. He's like, Hey, I gotta go pick up Samantha and get her home. Um, at eight. And so he goes, that's fine, but you got to get this stuff done. And he was, he was out of there, um, on time to do that. Uh, she had called her dad and said, can you bring me dinner? And he said, I can't get away from work, um, tonight. And so he never, um, never showed up and that's gotta be, (sighs) that's gonna be so heartbreaking for him. We, you know, it's survivor's guilt to like the 1000th degree. Like if I had been there, would she, would any of this had happened? If I had been there to pick her up, if I had been there, you know, just it's, it breaks my heart for him. And I'll talk a little bit about what, what happens, um, with him that I don't have too much of an update on him, but I, I feel really like that, um, as a parent, man, back. That part really got me because all the times that I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't come to this thing. I I have to work. And it's like, is it really, is work that important? I'm going to miss your something, your concert or whatever. Anyway. Um, But at 8 p.m. when Dwayne arrived, no one was in the kiosk. Um, The lights were off. And it seemed everything had gotten closed up. It looked like it shut down um, earlier than usual. He called Samantha's phone over and over and over again. He texted, no answer. Um, What he didn't know that her phone was still in the kiosk and it was lighting up every time he rang. I mean, he was calling, but he just didn't see it. Um, And his girlfriend was in trouble, but he didn't know that. About 15 minutes to closing time, Israel Keys parked his work truck in the Home Depot parking lot um, that was across the street from the coffee kiosk. And so it was on this pretty well-traveled road, but it was 
like he still had to cross the street so he didn't want his truck to be on the cctv he didn't want so he he had yes very smart very very forward thinking he drove around all of anchorage looking for the perfect kiosk and that's the one he chose he didn't know who would be working there he'd never seen her before and he just knew there would be a young girl working there usually cute (sighs) so he parked his truck and then so on top of his truck usually was like like i don't it it, like a rack yeah you know things that you would maybe stack things on top of to have your 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 tools in there and whatever so you know to carry things he he removed it he unscrewed it from his it's okay he unscrewed it from the top of his truck and then removed his license plates he removed any signage so it looked like any white chevy truck right um no problem um but it happened to be also the most popular truck in anchorage at the time, there were over 3,000 white Chevy pickup trucks. I just feel like every single thing he did was so thought out. And this is where the last podcast on the left guys would be like, yeah, but he's a fucking idiot. You know, like they just, it, it's I mean, hard to give somebody like him credit because he's such a piece of shit. But yes, he really did think a lot out. Yeah. You really, really did. Okay. So at about 10 minutes to closing, you can see Samantha on the CCTV footage inside of the Common Grounds coffee kiosk. She's doing her end of shift duties. You can see that she's like restacking cups and cleaning things off. Um, There are two cameras inside of the kiosk that, again, is super tiny. Like, it's super, super tiny. You just have, it's like a T. You can walk in this sort of T shape. 42 minutes. Um, Anyway, so he walked up to the kiosk and he's wearing all black and, you know, long coat and whatever. He's got a ski mask, but it's not over his face. And he walks up to the kiosk staying out of the CCTV camera view. He can see him walk up, but you can't see him at the window. And you see, so what you see is you see Samantha getting an order from somebody like, Oh, Hey, you know, she's, she seems very happy. And he comes up and he orders his large Americano and you can see Samantha start his order. She looks nice. She looks charming. She looks happy. She's just doing her job. It's 10 minutes to closing. No big deal. She's just making one coffee at two minutes and six seconds in. She turns to give keys his coffee and he apparently has a gun pointing at her because you see her quickly put her arms up and back away. Now there's no sound. We don't know exactly what was said. He did did say that he was he was robbing her and so he she just backed away at that point he told her to turn off the lights so calmly she turns around she flips off one set of lights walks to another set of lights and turns those off the panic button is right next to the light switch she never presses the panic button 
Although the picture is grainy since there's no light at all um, and the CCTV footage is always grainy. And can I just stop right here and say how much I fucking hate this because this makes me so angry. We put a man on the fucking moon. We have done so many things. We can make Kanye West be able to give Kar- the Kardashians a video, a hologram of their father telling them how proud he is of her. Like we can do things like that and but we can't have like clear cctv footage we never can see anything i just i wish we could have heard the sound of what he said to her to prevent her from pushing that button because he had to have said something you know what i mean what no what he said was like did you press the panic button i'll know because i have a police scanner in my ear and if i hear that you did and you're telling me you didn't oh my god and she said, I didn't. I swear. I swear I didn't. Yeah. And he was like, you better not be lying to me. So right away, he has control. Yeah. He's got a gun on her. She didn't press it for whatever reason. She didn't press it. Yeah. She thought maybe it was just a robbery. The yeah. last thing she's probably thinking is this man is going to take me somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, so at this point, Samantha gets on her knees and she stays there for about a minute. So at the three and a half minute mark... She gets up, goes to the register. We have no idea what's happening. We don't know what he's saying to her, what he's doing, but he is still outside of that fucking kiosk. And what makes things crazier is that there was a man sitting in the car idling not far who was looking at him, who was looking at Israel Keys before he even stuck up his gun. And so Israel Keys is like, here's this man looking at me. I'm going to go through with it. I've, I've come this far. I'm here. I'm doing it. And so he continued and the man drove away. That's not even the craziest thing. That's just not. Okay. So she goes, she gets the register, empties it, takes the money. And then something is said so that she goes to the window and turns her back and at the 519 mark, you can see a large male figure leaning in and tying her arms behind her back. So two more minutes tick by because nothing much is happening on the screen. He doesn't seem to be rushed. So right now we're at seven minutes and something seconds. And he's on a well-traveled road in front of a Home Depot at a coffee kiosk that's very popular behind a gym that is also very popular. A gym in the middle of the night or whatever, right? So in the middle of the day, it's eight o'clock. People are going to the gym at eight o'clock, right? Anyway, ugh, it makes me so mad. So then Israel Keys jumps into the kiosk window, which is like three feet off the ground. And he jumps in, which is like, you have to be pretty athletic to do it. Yeah. Like you don't, he didn't climb in. He like, yeah, generally Dukes of Hazard jumped into this thing very quick in like a second. Right. He picks her, picks her up picks up her seemingly empty purse, shows it to her. At the 8.55 mark, he looks like he's kneeling, and you see some lettering on his back. Couldn't tell what it is. And now they're facing, and then he picks, helps her to her feet, 
he p- picks her up. They turn around. They're now facing the other camera and they walk slowly out of the kiosk and you see them on the last CCTV uh, camera angle and he has his arm around her shoulder and they're walking through the snow. Now, when APD's wor- APD's working theory at this point, as Maureen Callahan put it, was, quote, Samantha was likely not the victim. They weren't going to tell the press that, but their response became clear because APD didn't plan to go public with Samantha's disappearance. That took another two days. The department's hand was forced by Samantha's father. They thought because it went so slowly that she had planned this, that she was a part of this, that she was, oh, that she like was an inside job, that she was disappearing herself, that she was going on the lamb with this guy, that it was really a friend of hers. It's crazy. Although they were skeptical about James specifically, because they had heard all these rumors about his pot growing and they tried to get into his house. He's like, you're not coming into my house. They're like, your daughter's missing. Why won't you let us into your house? There was yeah. like, so there was rumors that he was growing pot and he didn't want to get in trouble for that. And then Dwayne, obviously we know the saying, right? If somebody dies, it's most likely somebody who knows them that did yeah. it. Right. we we hear that all the time. Right. Yeah. But like John Douglas, the guy that wrote Mindhunter, he'll tell you, like, no, he disagrees with the FBI on that. Like, he thinks that all of these disappearances that you love to talk about so much are actually stranger danger kind of crimes. Yeah. So just like Israel, he's, he's not the only one. If there's one of him, there's probably more. He's like a cockroach. Where you see one, there are probably a lot. It's so sad the boyfriend probably got there within minutes after them... So leaving. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Dwayne did go to the kiosk and it was empty and he couldn't sleep. So he goes, you know, he went home there freaking out. He couldn't sleep. So he's waiting on the couch. He's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. Maybe Sam's going to come home and, and all this kind of stuff. Anyway. So he, um, he heard something outside in his truck his truck is parked outside. Well, he hears something. He opens the door and fuck if he doesn't see Israel Keys fumbling around in his truck. And he had a knife. So he runs inside to get James. What in the fuck? And at that point, Israel Keys gets away. So now you know that there's a man idling in the car who sees Israel Keys just before he robs the kiosk, you see all probably all the people that are in the Home Depot parking lot. There's an IHOP right there. Didn't even say it with the windows showing the whole thing. Okay. What was Israel Keys looking for in the truck? So, hold on. I'm just crying because I'm so sad. Okay, so this is the part where I get frustrated because in Keys' own retelling, he talks about about almost a dozen potential witnesses of the abduction. So at the kiosk... Um, there were people in the Home Depot parking lot that were parked right next to Israel Keys' truck and they waited. He waited for them to get in their little minivan before he got Samantha by force into his truck. 
This is where Samantha actually almost got away. She made a run for it uh, um, at the at the crosswalk, and he tackled her. And then he said, "If you do that again, I have this. I have this gun, and the bullets will kill you. And it's a very quiet gun. Like no, you know, like I will kill you. This is this is what's happening. Um, and so she never made that mistake again. She she got scared enough to never try that again. Um, at the they were when they were in the truck and driving somewhere, they were at a stoplight and APD um, Anchorage Police Department cops drove up and parked right next to them at that light. And Israel Keys told her to don't look at them, look at me. And so she just had to continue to face his direction. She never um, tried to get the cops attention at all there were skiers in a park that that um she told him i'm you know i'm sorry to bother you sir but i i need to go pee he couldn't have her dna in the truck so he stopped at the ski park and there were skiers who were walking towards the truck but they didn't bother them samantha got out samantha peed she, he tied her back up in the back of the truck. Like, like all of these people, pe- person after person, place after place, there were all of these people who um, saw her and saw or saw them. Um, and it was, it was terrible. She didn't scream because he had put napkins in her mouth, which just makes me gagged thinking about it. He made a lot of errors, though. Um, he, the police didn't find out until later. The CCTV footage that we see, that you can see now on you know, YouTube or whatever, they, if they had watched the entire night's footage, they would have seen Israel Keys go back twice twice to that kiosk after the abduction um he would he went back to receive retrieve her cell phone so that he could mean text Dwayne, uh, and then he went back to get her debit card um or her there was something else that she left not her debit card because her debit card was in the truck which is why he was in that truck she told him where to find it uh, but he went back twice um, all of this is so frustrating and so sad. Um, he told her not, not to worry that he was just kidnapping her for ransom. And as soon as, as soon as she got paid, he would let her go. She'd still be alive. She said, we don't have any money. My dad does not have any money. He said, don't worry. Like this is, here's the deal. When we ask for money to get someone back, they find the money. So don't, don't worry yourself about that. Like you're going to be fine. Um, He though had no intention of letting her live. I mean, his plan was in motion. As I said, when he got her to the shed in front of his house, in front of his house. He got a little scared of getting her from the truck into the shed. So he kept her in the truck for a little while while he put his whole truck contraption in the middle of the night, all back together, (laughs) right? Um, Put the the thing back on so it looked like his work truck again. Um, And then he blindfolded her and took her to the shed. He had to... um, he had to get it all ready for her. So there was a tarp on the ground. I mean, it covered the floor. He had two heaters going on in the shed. It's Alaska. It's winter. So he wanted to get it warm. And he, um, and, and so he had like a five gallon bucket that he was like, you can use this to pee in and you know, I'll be back. 
he said, I'll be back because he had to go back into his house to take care of Sarah and <laughs> say goodnight to Kimberly because they were all still awake at this point. Like everyone's awake in his house. So um, he, he, he and Sarah were leaving for a cruise at 5 a.m. the next day and he didn't have much time to do his dirty deeds. So he told Samantha not to make a sound, reminded her that he indeed did have the police scanner going on in his ear and he never heard of anything. There were no, you know, yeah. there's no panic button ever pressed. He didn't hear ever hear anything. And he said, if you make a sound, and I hear about it on the police scanner, then I'm going to know and I'm, I'll, I'll get you before the police get here. Um, he put on loud rock music. You know how he loved that new metal. And um, he went inside of his house to take care of what needed to get taken care of. So he came back with water for Samantha. He had a glass of wine for himself. And um, she asked him very calmly how the ransom thing was going. And he yeah. said, it was good. It was going good. And he began to untie her. And he knew what he was doing at this point. He was untying her. He's like, yeah, everything's going great. Everything's going great. So she's having this, this brief minute, brief moment of hope. I'm going to get out of here. This, like, it's going well. He's untying me. I, I'm going to, I'm going to survive this, but that was very short lived because at that point he asked her to get down on the ground. He positioned her arms above her head. He was reattaching or he was re, he, he was rebonding her. Like he was he just tying her up in a different position. And at that point she, she definitely knew, um, he got her hopes up. And then smashed him down again, and that shit got him hard. It sucks. Um, so after he uh, tied her up, he raped her twice. And um, after putting after 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 the second time, he stood above her, uh, stark naked, put on some leather gloves, and strangled her for a long time, and making sure that she was dead. And then, and during all of that, he also stabbed her. In the back by her shoulder blade, but didn't really explain why. Um, he was running out of time. He again had to leave at 5 a.m. for this cruise. So he wrapped her up in the tarp and he put her in the cabinets of the shed, cleaned up as most as best that he could, went back inside, got his daughter up, got her fed, got them packed and out the door for their cruise. They were going on a flight to Houston and then to drive to New Orleans to get on a cruise to Mexico. So rather than just fly straight to New Orleans to get on a cruise, he flew to Houston to drive to the six hours to New Orleans. Um, this was his MO, commit a murder and create an insane travel schedule that would make it almost impossible to connect him to that murder. People yeah. would look at that and go, there is no way. There is no way that this man went without sleep, went without any food, went without any breaks to get, um, yeah. to get all of this done. Um, and back at home in the shed, Samantha stayed in the cabinets for two weeks in the below freezing Alaska winter and no one was the wiser. 
When he returned, Kimberly was still away on a work trip, so he had a little bit of time um, to take care of Samantha. Sarah was in school, so during the day, he turned the heaters back on in the shed and got to cleaning the place up. He removed Samantha from the cabinets, which had gotten covered in blood, which goes against what he said. He said that he didn't stab her that deep or that much, but there was like a lot. He just also described a lot of blood, so none of that really goes yeah. with that. Um, he had to take the cabinet down and burn all the wood and all the all the parts. Um, he liked to burn things, remember, to hide to yeah. hide evidence. So just a reminder of that. Anyway, so he took bleach water with, you know, bleach with warm water, cleaned up the floors and he built a little table and he put Samantha on that table. And when she, for lack of a better word, uh, thawed out, she, he thawed her out. Keys had sex with her corpse more than once. And she was dead, y'all. Like, really dead. Like, we're talking like she'd been dead for like two weeks. Two, three weeks at this point. Dead. She was dead. Um, And she was all blue and red and bruised. And she wasn't rigid. She was floppy. Like, rigor mortis did not set in. um, Like, that we think, you know, like there's a dead body. Um, And he, this is when he told investigators, like, he was being super coy. And he only wanted to tell the Alaska, uh, the Anchorage PD detective. Her name was Doll, Detective Doll. She was, like, super hot. And um, he only wanted to tell her this part of the story probably to like fuck with her a little bit like yeah. it was a pickup line I'm not sure like she was so, hot and he wanted to tell her to upset her I don't know anyway his daughter came looking for him he like time kind of got away from him and his daughter came looking for him and uh she started banging on the shed door and you know he's naked at this point and she's like oh go eat breakfast i'll be there in just a minute and so he had to clean all that up and because she if you open the door she's right there so sarah would have seen everything um he didn't forget about wanting a ransom though he got to work on that first he had to get makeup and sewing stuff and he got all these all these all these tools to get what he needed to get done done um he so he took fishing wire and a needle and and made it so her eyes looked like she was squeezing them really hard and he put some duct tape over her mouth because she was dead and he, her, she was floppy, and there's no amount of makeup that you can do on somebody to make them not look like that. So, like, he tried super glue. He was trying to like paint her eyes on or some shit. Like, he tried all kinds of things. Yeah. He did her makeup. He said for four or five hours, um, and so finally, um, he put on so much foundation so that she didn't look dead, and did all these things. Braided her hair. Um, he found a newspaper paper in the in the dumpster that was dated february 13th which this was like after that yeah. uh, but he to give uh, to proof of life i guess yeah. um so he took a ton of polaroids until he got just the right one that was just out of focus that was just 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 we- believable enough yeah. he cut it up a little bit put it on a piece of paper xeroxed it and he put the put the ransom note with it um he, the ransom note was asking for $30,000 to be 
put into Dwayne and Samantha's account that, that they had the debit card for. And the photo was copied onto the, the paper so that it, they couldn't tell if it was like, um, a Xerox, a Polaroid, a yeah. digital photo or whatever. Um, and then on February 24th at 7.56 p.m., he sent this text to Dwayne. Connor Park under pick of Albert. Ain't she pretty? Albert was a dog that the, that was a lost dog. Um, and so it was Dwayne and James called the police, beat them to Connor's dog. No, Connor's bog dog park um they didn't touch anything for fear of messing things up and they saw a letter inside of a ziploc bag that was inside of another ziploc bag and he asked for the money and alluded to her almost escaping but then tried to throw them off saying that she almost escaped again in the desert which we know didn't happen so he let them know that he would be using her debit card just not in alaska but in other states as well and why would he tell them that if he didn't want to be caught i don't know so but one question loomed because james was like this picture does not look right did samantha is samantha really alive and i guess um, as a parent, he probably wanted to want, he probably wanted her to be alive, yeah. but he was like, she doesn't look right. Yeah. And she didn't, she was over three weeks dead, you know, like, oh, she don't look right. She don't look good. She's like three weeks dead. She don't look good. Um, so anyway, so they had candlelight vigils, the part, like the community was really rallying behind the, the reward money had gone up to $70,000 candlelight vigils, search parties. He had a trailer set up that he manned and run, ran himself just outside of the common grounds kiosk. And he, people would show up and he'd give them posters and they yeah. put like 40,000 poster, 45,000 posters around town with like looking for Samantha you know reward for finding her and all that kind of stuff um he did and then keys did indeed start using the debit card he tried it first in alaska he tried to take out six hundred dollars which any of you who have a debit card know you can't take six hundred dollars out that's a that's over the daily limit so he went to another atm and took out five hundred dollars he was a quick study. Then just after midnight, he hit up another ATM for the same amount. What he didn't know was that the FBI and the local uh, police department had made arrangements with the bank to let them know immediately every time the card got used. Yeah. Now, the problem with that is like they were just a step behind him. But yeah. every time he used it, the cops would be on their way and they would just be just be behind him. So it was very frustrating. But then after these two times, all of a sudden, nothing. And then he was in the lower 48. On March 7th, around 10.30 p.m., the debit card was used in Wilcox, Arizona, and the investigators were 4,000 miles away. But luckily, the FBI field office in Phoenix knew the bank's owner, and they were able to get surveillance footage. And it wasn't great, but you could tell he was super tall, and he wore jeans and white tennis shoes. And a mask. 
Not a lot. An hour later, it pinged again at 2.34 a.m. local time, but in Alaska, it was still 11.34 p.m. This time, he was in Lordsburg, New Mexico. Keyes was heading east on I-10, but he didn't get the money he thought since the time change made it so that he was way ahead of Alaska time. But this time, they saw more on the wide angle of the camera, his car. He had rented a little white car. It wasn't much, but it was a start, right? So at 2.35, it pinged again, so just a minute later. But this time, he was just looking for a balance inquiry, and there was only $3,500, almost $3,600 in the account. So where's the ransom money? Well, you know. Beggars can't be choosers. Anyway, the FBI sent out a BOLO. This is a be on the lookout bulletin. And they said the suspect's going to be wearing this light hooded sweatshirt. He's probably in a light colored vehicle. He's traveling east toward El Paso on I-10. Um, the card was last used in Shepherd, Texas on the 12th of March at 2.47 a.m. A Texas ranger by the name of Rayburn, who lived in Lufkin, saw the bolo and realized he would be the ranger in the lead. So this is like his first really big case. He called the FBI field office um, in Conroe, Texas, and learned that an officer in Humble, Texas, saw a white Ford Focus um, at that same ATM at 2.23 a.m., but the problem is the Ford Focus is a white Ford Focus is the most popular rented car in Texas at that time. So, wow. Yeah. His truck and this car. Um, he tried to turn in the car for another one, but they were like, sorry, we don't have any other cars. Here's another 2012 Ford Focus white. So I just gave him the same car. He's like, damn it. Um, so with the Raiders on the case, and they mean business. I mean, if you've never dealt with Texas police, um, don't don't mess with them. He sent out another bolo with the Ranger insignia. And so it really traveled fast. They're like, okay, the, yeah. the, if they're on the case, this is serious. Um, they tried to get the CCTV footage from the banks that he was hitting. One refused to get, get them the footage because the bank didn't open till nine. Wow. And so FBI is like, we are trying to save a young girl's life. They're like, sorry, sir. It opens at nine. We'll see you there. Happy to help at 9 a.m. Oh, my God. Yeah. Then they caught a break. Around 11 a.m., Rayburn, um, the Texas Ranger, got a call that he might have found the car. They might have found the car that matches the one in the video that's parked at the Quality Inn. Um, and investigators went and asked about the car and the guest who owns it. And they said, it's Elijah Keys. Elijah. It's under his brother's name in room 215. Then a call came in. A white male was exiting room 215 and he got into the Ford Focus and pulled out of the parking lot. So they're in constant communication with the FBI. And the cop was like, what do you want me to do? I can't just pull him over without like probable cause, right? You can't, it's, it's just a white man. You can't just pull over a white man, I guess. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he hadn't broken the law yet or anything yeah. they pulled him over the minute he went over uh, he i think it was two miles an hour over the speed limit they had him and they pulled him over now if you're not familiar like i said of texas cops gather around children and let me tell you a tale they are not to be messed with because as soon as they started asking questions he was trying to get all chummy with them like what seems to be the problem and they were they were just not having it um but keys wasn't rattled at least not at first he asked what's this all about and the cop answers we're looking for we're looking into a kidnapping from alaska and the cop just began asking him, where are you from? Why are you so far from home? Because they saw that he is Israel Keys from Alaska. Yeah. Why are you so far from home? And you know when someone is lying and they just give too much information? Like, we didn't ask, ask you about that. Yeah. So he starts saying, oh, I'm here for my sister's wedding, but I'm staying at the hotel with my brother and the room is under his name. I have two brothers in town. They came in from Maine and and and." and and Keys just was talking and they're like, we didn't ask any of Oh, and I have this camera with all the pictures from the wedding and all just just he kept talking, trying to corroborate his story. Yeah. But they're like, We didn't ask you any of that. And so that's just a that's just if someone is lying, they're telling you too much, right? So he handed him his ID. They see it's Israel Keys. They get on the car like we think we have him. Um, and they look in his car and they find all of these things that fucking serial killers. They find all these things that only serial killers would have in their car. And they were one can of amp energy drink open. One set of school photos of a child. One pair of sneakers, white. Remember the ATM video. One ATM receipt under driver's side floor mat, reading, debit not available. Sony digital camera containing 200 plus photos of a wedding. One new gray shirt with store tags, packaging Winchester brand. Amber tinted sunglasses, no packaging. One t-shirt with one sleeve cut off. Dark gray fleece Columbia jacket, several Walmart bags, rolls of cash in denominations of five and ten dollars. In the back seat, they found Walmart receipt stamped Lufkin, Texas, four ten a.m. three twelve twenty twelve. One sandwich, one energy drink, one pair of black sunglasses, one partial gallon of water, laundry detergent, one pink backpack. In the trunk, one green backpack, one gray DVD case containing pornographic images of a black female, pornographic DVDs including transgender pornography, Alaska Airlines flight confer- confirmation of Israel Keys and daughter to depart Anchorage on 3-6-2012, arriving Seattle, Washington, 5-54 a.m., departing Seattle, 3-30 p.m., Arriving in Las Vegas at 5.56 p.m. Bottles of alcohol still chilled in Walmart bags. Gray fleece jacket. Gray hooded sweatshirt with amber shooting glasses. And a gray cloth mask in front pocket. Gloves in another pocket. One laptop. One black Samsung cell phone. Slider type. Battery and SIM card. Removed. Toiletry kit. One handgun, a pair of binoculars, one black ski mask, one headlamp. 
They said they also found in his wallet the debit card for a Samantha Koenig with the PIN number scratched into the card. Want to hear something real crazy real quick? Mm-hmm. So Lufkin is where I normally go on holidays, and I would have been there in 2012, and we go to that Walmart like all the time to like buy like Yikes. supplies and stuff. You might have walked. I didn't realize right he had been in by, Lufkin. Right by his little keys. Because they use my bank. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyways, so mm-hmm. I didn't realize Lufkin was where he was at. So at this point, Sweeze is sweating. He's sweating. They saw his name. They saw all the stuff. But once he was in custody, he wouldn't talk. At least not at first. He did like Detective Dahl. And so he pretty much was okay with all of the other detectives, except for the prosecutor, the DA, whose name was Feldis. He was, he was kind of a piece of shit, too. He basically forced his way into the interrogation room to take over the interrogation of Israel Keys. But, man, he just got overpowered. And he was so dumb to even see that he was being overpowered by Keys. Um, he just couldn't see it. There's the, an art of interrogating a serial killer. They teach you this in the, at Quantico. They teach you this in the police academy. I mean, Feldis did not have that art skill, and so it really it got out from under him sometimes, and really by sheer luck, they kept it together. He had demands that he wouldn't talk until um, his demands were met, one being that he wanted the New York Times delivered to him every day. He wanted to have smoke breaks when he was talking to investigators. He um, had he, he wanted to smoke cigars. Um, he wanted peanut butter Snickers. He's very particular about that. He didn't want anything in the media. He wanted to protect his daughter from hearing about any of this, but he probably should have fucking thought of that before he became a serial killer is all I'm saying because now it's all out there and people like me are telling this fucking story so um anyway uh, he didn't want them talking to kimberly he didn't want them talking to his family his mom was okay and unless she said she didn't want to talk anymore which is just crazy um and then the big ask the his big ask his huge ask <laughs> none of that was I the know. big ask i know um his big ask was that he wanted to be put to death within the year he said he knew when he started to kill that he was playing for keeps um like he would either die in a shootout which he kind of thought was like that was like i think his dream was to die in some police should shootout or he would die uh, by being electrocuted on death row or by his own hand um, he didn't want to go blow by blow with the investigators on what happened with Savannah, with Samantha. So we started at the end and, um, he talked about the ice fishing shed that the FBI should have found on his property. They didn't. Um, but he did talk about, you know, they didn't give that up, but he had to tell them where all of that, uh, all of the pieces of the ice fishing shack i had to look up what that was but it's like if you're fishing on the ice you have a little shack and you can have a fire in there and it's like your own little private place and that can actually keep you warm um so after he killed her he contemplated burying her in his backyard like in the in the snow for at least a little while um but he decided nope it's better to just get rid of her and so he went through the painstaking task of dismembering her 
and um, taking her out bit by bit in three different trips to this what oh my god Matanuska Lake. Um, it was the deepest that he could find in a close enough proximity for him to make these trips, and he did them in three different trips. He cut a hole in the ice, which took a long time, and there was a guy out there looking at him like crazy, like he was crazy because I guess you would. If there was already a hole cut, you wouldn't cut another hole. And he was far away, but he could see this guy like, why don't you just come use my hole, dude? Like, it's already cut. Yeah. Come sit over here, you know? Yeah. Um, And so he built his little shack and then he would drop a piece or two um, of Samantha that he had weighted down. um, And then he would fish for the next four or five hours and then he would go home with that fish and cook it and serve it to his family he's so gross um and he did this he so she was in five different bags and so he told investigators that she would be in five different bags um and they 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 tried to keep that from the media but when when the local PD, when the local media saw that there were um tents put up on the lake and they were tr- they were trying to be hush hush they kind of all knew what they were looking for which is just devastating for james and his family um but fortunately that wasn't enough to get him into the electric chair and so he said well i have two more bodies and that's when he told them the story of bill and lorraine courier from vermont um, they looked them up and yep they had been missing since 2011 and he chose them only because they backyard looked like they didn't have any kids no animals no kids um he waited outside of their house one night and just waited and waited um he wanted everyone in the neighborhood to be asleep there was a neighbor next door who was a chain smoker and walked his dog a lot and so he was out there um other dogs in the neighborhood had been barking some of the neighbors were like my dog seemed agitated the neighbor's dog seemed agitated and they just kind of ignored that um and they kind of wished that they had gone and maybe looked into it more more, though I'm not sure yeah. that would have been safe for them either. So finally around 2 a.m. everyone went to sleep and he made his way into the courier's house kidnapped them in their own car. Um, the thing was that J- that Bill and Lorraine courier put up a hell of a fight. They did not go down without a fight. They each tried to escape. They each tried to fight back. It made him so mad. It made Keith so mad that he eventually shot Bill um, uh, until uh, multiple times and until he finally fell down and stopped fighting and then brought Lorraine. Um, they t- he took them to an abandoned home and took them into the basement to kill them and uh, strangled Lorraine and f- as she was looking at her dead husband. But they both fought like the Dickens to not die. He left them there in the basement, covered their bodies up with Drano, put plastic bags over their bodies and just left them there. Um, when he told them about the, the house, he the FBI went to that house only to find that it had been demolished. The crew that knocked it down had made mention of a foul odor, but they didn't look into it. They said, oh yeah, it smelled like something died down there. Oh. And they just demolished it and scooped it out and everything went to the dump. The FBI went to the dump and they searched and they searched and they searched and they never could find 
proof that Bill and Lorraine Courier were there. So that made it impossible for them to prove that um, Keyes killed them. And so there they couldn't he, they couldn't put him to death. He was very tight lipped about the details of his murders. He would drop hints. He would say this city or that city, this lake or those woods. And maybe I did something there, but um, they could never know for sure that, that anything happened. Um, like the death of a sex worker deemed Deborah Feldman and others that uh, they couldn't verify. And there could 100% have been a part three. And this is already going really long. And I'm really sorry um, of all the things that he told investigators, but I'll have to end this saga. Um, I know. So based on his last interviews where he mentioned explosives, bond making devices that he had planned on using, the bomb squads were dispatched immediately to his home. Do you remember he had that house in New York? he was escalating. He was, yes. So he had that New York property that his dad had bought him as a sort of like peace offering. Um, And then also to his property in Anchorage. And um, he, they didn't know how the FBI could have missed this. He had told army buddies that they interviewed that he had 9,000 rounds of black talon ammo buried at the New York property. Now those are the cop killer bullets. I had to look that up. Cop killer bullets. He told them about how he dreamt about killing cops and almost did once. Um, He told them about Timothy McVeigh being a hero um, to some people in the his circles when he was a kid. Like he kind of idolized these people, the the, uh, Chevy and Shane Kehoe, who I talked about last time, the FBI wouldn't say what they found at the New York property, but they did add one more uh, charge to his rap sheet. And that was of a terrorist. They wouldn't say what they found. But he is labeled as a terrorist. And when they saw the death penalty, when he saw that the death penalty wasn't going to happen as quickly as he hoped without having to give away all of his secrets, because those were his secrets, um, he took matters into his own hands. And on December 1st, 2012, 10 months to the day since he kidnapped Samantha Koenig, Israel Keys slashed his wrists with a contraband razor that um, that somebody who worked at that facility gave him. They were told not to give him shaving razors or anything. Um, and he put it into a, a pencil, made a makeshift razor and slit his wrists. But he also had a sheet around his neck and tied to his foot. So he was both choking himself to death and bleeding himself. He let the blood fill up uh, milk containers so that they wouldn't, it wouldn't go under the 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 door. door. Um, And he, he drew 12 skulls in his own blood. And on one, he wrote, we are one. He also left one last clue in blood. He wrote Belize. I'm going to Belize in June. We will never know the full extent of his crimes, but one thing is for sure. A lot of people have been lucky. There was a mom who in broad daylight was kidnapped by keys in the parking lot of a mall. She had her baby with her. Somehow she escaped. The police did not believe her until a week later when another mom and her daughter were found dead in the exact same parking lot, exact same place where she was let go. And when Keyes was caught, she said that was him. 
The people who weren't shot because there were too many people around, the guy who ran just a little too fast on that rainy night into his apartment, all were so lucky. And then there are the people who weren't so lucky that we know nothing about. There were so many that were just cons- that are just considered as missing or disappeared and will never be found. And so I know when Ashley uh, is talking about these disappeared cases, maybe we need to look where Israel Keys was at that time. There are some travel logs that the FBI has posted in our show notes again, so maybe it can be worked out. But whatever the case, I'm glad this man is no longer alive and may he rot in hell. Yes. And that is my story. That was such a good story. Fuck, right? (laughs) Yes. I'm done. It was good. It was a long one, guys. Sorry. That's okay. The last ones have been short, so. <laughs> Anyways, no question of the week. Send us all your thoughts, ideas. We're going to have one story next week, then we're taking a break, and we'll be back. We're on all the things. We're on all the things. Casefilesofcatnasha.com if you need help finding all of the things. Because we are removing season one from all the streaming platforms. Um, and that will be... to redo those stories. Yes. And so if you're wanting to listen to season one, I suggest Uh-oh. you do it now, even Uh-oh. though we don't want you to. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. They're still currently up, but we are in the process of removing them. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Anyways, we love you guys. We love you guys. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.